You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How's everybody doing in here? Good? Good. Let's see how this comes together here. I want to talk a little bit this morning um, about what it means to be a strong Christian. I think I hit off and on with this a lot here at the church, but I really want to talk about what does it mean to be a strong, life-giving Christian. Unfortunately, we've taken a lot of our church culture, and we believe that a strong Christian is someone that goes to church every Sunday, that reads their Bible every day, that maybe journals, that... uh, goes to a Wednesday night service, if there's a Wednesday night service. Um, Maybe they do a little extracurricular reading on the side. And unfortunately, we have kind of defined that as being a strong, mature Christian. When really, it's not um, a strong, mature Christian. I think we all know that. And so I want to talk about that based on this passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul, let me give a little context for it. Paul is writing, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians were really most likely three books. Um, originally, but now they've been put into two. That's what we have. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's bringing some correction to some things that are going on there, but he's also boasting in the fact that this church has gotten a hold of the things of the Spirit. And he is writing this letter to remind them again of what really is important. So that's the context of this book that we're going to look at. But I also set that up because I want to talk about what it looks like for us to be mature Christians. I mean, have you ever, have you ever asked yourself the question, what would it look like if I were to mature in the Lord? What would it really look like? What would I look like as a believer if I were to mature in the Lord? I think it's a good question to ask. So I don't know, I'm not going to say that I have all the answers with this, but I'm going to talk about it through the context of this verse right here, this chapter. So we have 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here he is writing back to him, and he says to the church at Corinth, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. That word testimony there actually sometimes is translated mystery. I didn't come to you guys with incredible oratory skills. I didn't come to you with the ability to perform with my words, to put them together in such a way that I would impress you. I didn't come to you with impressive words of wisdom. I didn't come to you guys breaking down all this marvelous revelation that I received when I was in Arabia. He could do that, right? It says, we know because of Paul, he has seen things that he can't even talk about. Not because he's not allowed, it's because he doesn't have the words for them. He doesn't have the ability to put them into words. Now, for us, we like revelation. How many in here like revelation? How how much do you like it? I mean, do you really like it when you get into the word and like something jumps out and it's like the heavy revy drops? It's like, yeah, that's it. Like the heavy stuff. I love that stuff too. But ultimately, revelation that is not by faith explored, simply turns into religion. Hello. Revelation that is not explored in faith will turn into religion. And we can fill ourselves with all kinds of revelation, thinking that we're maturing in the Lord and we're not really growing. All we have is some special nuggets that God has given us. This life that we have been given to live in Christ is a life of faith. And without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. 
So in other words, any kind of revelation that we get, any kind of understanding that we get in the word requires that we move into it by faith. So here's Paul writing back to him and he said, guys, remember, I didn't come to you guys dropping heavy revies. I didn't come to you guys with, these, with this wonderful oratory. I came to you guys with this. I came to you, verse two. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You gotta love that, right? How often do we get away from that? The very core of Christianity itself, the cross of Jesus Christ, the crux, the crossroads of all eternity at that one point in time. And he's saying, I came to you and all I wanna know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Come on, that's a good word, right? Kale and I were talking about it this morning. At the crucifixion of Jesus, that one point in time, do you realize that he took all of you and all of me and everybody on this planet took him with him to the cross, took us with him? Come on, that's a beautiful story, isn't it? The turning point in history. Natural things happened at the cross. Earthquakes started happening, right? It goes completely dark. Why, I don't fully know. All I know is at some level, he called himself the light of the world and they just killed him. The light went out. But it wasn't the light going out in such a way that it was doomsday. It was the light going out on the demonic stronghold. <coughs> Earthquakes. People come out of the graves. I mean, come on. How cool would that be to see? People all of a sudden, Uncle Joe's walking around going, Dude, I'm back! <laughs> What happened? I don't know, man. I was asleep, and then all of a sudden, here I am. <laughs> Thunder, lightning, goes dark, earthquakes, the veil in the temples ripped apart. So many things happen in the natural. But in the spiritual, what did it mean for us? It meant for all of us, taken with him, I'm crucified with Christ, right? Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with him. I was talking with the students this past Friday um, in our revival groups and just wanted to reiterate that you are not the choice or you're not the um, product of your choices. You're the product of his. Yeah. Now, our choices have consequences in this life. Don't misunderstand me. We can make wrong choices here. But you are the product. Your person, your very identity is the result of his choice, not your choice. Hello, are you with me? It's just kind of going, what do you, what do you, what do you? <laughs> baptism. We often think that baptism is our identification with him. It is not. Baptism is us recognizing his identification with us because we were buried with him. Hello? So, G so Paul is coming on the scene and he's saying, I don't want to know anything among you guys. If I'm known for anything, I don't want it be to be known for my speech. I don't want it to be known for my heavy revies. I want it to be known for the fact that it's all about Jesus and it's all about him crucified. The power of God. Verse three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Come on, you gotta love that. that. You see his humanity. Paul's just saying, look, dudes, I'm like you guys here. I'm just like you guys. I'm just like the rest of you guys. I've got the struggles. I've got the challenges in my life. I've got all the things that you have. They may be a little different, but I suffer from them too. Verse four, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. 
In other words, he dialed down his ability to bring all the wonderful stuff so he could go, it's about the simplicity. I want to show you the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You think we might be guilty of doing that a little bit here where we have a little bit of faith in men, right? How many of you have ever known people who've been wonderful men and women of God and then all of a sudden they fall, right? And it destroys us on the inside, it hurts us, and it should because we're all part of the same body. I get it. I get it, but we also at the same time have to ask ourselves the question, how much of a pedestal did I put this person on right there? We're all made out of the same stuff. We all have different giftings. We all have different giftings, but it is not about what is the person themselves. It's about what God is doing through them. Is this making sense at all? Verse four, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. We talk a lot about that with this with the students. That whenever we do outreach, whenever we do any kind of communication outside the walls of this church, we are not about trying to close the deal. That is not the goal. The goal is not the old school version of Christianity, which is to pass out a tract, and hopefully we can pray for somebody and get them to say, ask Jesus into your heart. That is so crazy to me. It's becoming more and more foreign. I hope it's becoming foreign to you guys too. Because that is not, you can't even find anything in scripture about that. Pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. It doesn't say that. What it does say is those who believe, right? So believe in what? Well, if you're going to believe in something, don't you need to have a demonstration of it to be, see it trustworthy? So, G, so here Paul comes on the scene and he's saying, I'm coming with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith is not going to be in my persuasive words, but it's going to be in the power of God, in the power of God. Anybody in here been miraculously healed in their body before? I have. Come on, hold your hands up for a second. Just look around the room. Come on, look at that. Super high percentage. What, 80% of the people in the room have been healed by God? Come on, that's worthy of giving God glory. Whenever something like that happens, it's really easy to see that it's God doing the work, isn't it? Right? That's what he's talking about. A demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith will not be in the wisdom of men and the persuasive words of men. I think the most beautiful, mature people in Jesus, honestly, and this may shock you here, are not ones who have memorized this. Although memorization is good. We need it. It's the people who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and they simply share with somebody else that encounter that they've had. It's the simple, you know what? I saw Jesus do this. I bet he'll do it for you. And then you lay hands on somebody. You speak healing over them. You just simply give your testimony. And then somebody goes, something about that resonates with me. I want that. The word says to taste and see that God is good. Right? Taste and see. It doesn't say know and see. Understand and see. It says taste and see. In other words, it's all about the experience. It's all about the experience. Did you know you can taste God? You can. I've talked about this before, but the understanding, the word in understanding in Greek does not mean intellectual understanding. It means knowing by experience. And we've been given all these faculties, 
even in our natural bodies, to experience who God is. How many of you have ever felt God before? You felt him. You can't explain it, but you feel him. He's on you, right? How many have ever heard God? Yeah? Man, there's got a lot of people in here. This is good. Have you ever smelled God? Yeah? Ooh, that's a new one. Have you ever tasted him? You can. Why not? He doesn't withhold. It's not like some of our senses get used and some of them don't get used. Have you you've felt him? You've heard him? You've seen him? You've smelled him? Can you taste him? David knows that. The psalmist, he writes all about it. It's like honey on my lips, right? It's like that's not just good writing right there. That's not just good word pictures. That is the actual person saying, I'm experiencing God, and you taste like honey. Now, to him it tastes like that. To you and I, it may taste a little different, but you understand where he's going. It's about the experience in him. What makes somebody a mature Christian? It's someone who can bring with them God, God himself. I don't want to bring to people a narrative about who God is, as if he's over there. Let me tell you about this guy I know. Have you guys ever, this is always funny to me, have you ever been out in public and you're just doing what you do and you're maybe standing in a line or something and there's people there that you don't know and somehow you strike up a little bit of a conversation or you start to discover that, hey, they're Christians too? Have you ever, dis- have you ever noticed this? This baffles me. That people can do that and talk about Jesus, the lover of their soul, as a third party that's not even there with them. Have you ever noticed that? Oh yeah, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, we do this over here. We go to this church. We're all identified by what we do, right? I go to this church. I I do this Bible study. I listen to this music. I do this. We're all identified by that. Instead of having that connection of going, you know what? He's standing right here with us. Come on, think about this for a moment. I'm not identified by what I've memorized. I'm not identified by where I worship, what kind of music I listen to. I'm identified by the person that's in love with me and I'm in love with him. That's the one I want to give off. That's the one I want to be most aware of. Bill Johnson talks about hosting the presence of God, that the spirit is in me for my sake, but he's on me for your sake. He's in me for my sake. He makes me come alive inside, but he's on me for your sake. Bill talks about John. I think it's in John where it says that Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and it landed on him, and it said it remained. Ooh. He says that if we have Holy Spirit, if you had a dove resting on your shoulder, wouldn't you be keenly aware of that? And wouldn't everything that you do have the dove in mind? So everywhere you walk, you're thinking, I don't want this thing flying off of me, right? Now you get it. The analogy breaks down at some point, but I want whenever I encounter people, my maturity as a Christian is not going to be recognized by how much scripture I know, how many books that I've read, where I go to church, how long I've been in church. If I have any degrees, it doesn't matter. What's going to mark me as a mature believer is someone where I walk into their presence and they go, there's something about you that is so different. Yeah, it's a dove. It's sitting on my shoulder. And he's actually on me for your sake. So if you're recognizing something, it's really, it's a good thing because he's here for you. Come on, is this helpful this morning? Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Romans 4.17 says that the kingdom 
is not food. It's not about eating. It's not about this natural stuff that we do, but it's righteousness and peace and joy. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? I love it, and I've said it before. If that's true, and it's the word of God, so it has to be true, that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, then that's three parts of the kingdom right there. And two parts of it are experiential. And what are we talking about? This maturing in the Lord is about experience. It, righteousness is a state. It's what he's made us to be, right? Peace. How many have ever experienced peace? Right? And joy. So two-thirds of the kingdom is experiential. Verse 5 again. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's the interesting thing. In Paul's day, there was no difference. It was normal Christianity for people to have Christians show up and people getting saved and getting healed on the spot. That was normal Christianity. We're the ones that separate it and compartmentalize it. This is normal stuff in his day. Paul's statement here is a personal call to take that which God has for mankind and bring it to them. That's what the call is. I didn't come to you guys with all this stuff. I came to you with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, just so you know it, since I'm telling you I'm frail, I was in weakness and trembling and fear and all that, just like you guys. So if I can do it, guess what? You can do it. Everybody can do it. Come on, is this good news for you? Everybody gets in on it. Right? It's what Jesus does. He showed up on the scene and he says, hey, you guys, follow me. I want to show you a few things. They lived life with him. He showed them all kinds of stuff, taught them stories, told them a bunch of things, and then said, guess what? I'm leaving, but I'm going to send Holy Spirit. He's around you right now, but he's going to be in you. And when he comes, guess what? Tag, you're it. Now you get to do it. Come on. Come on. Are we waking up to this? You're not defined by where you go to church, what version of the Bible you read, how many worship songs you listen to, how much you know. Mature Christianity is defined by how much of his presence we take with us everywhere we go. The word says that he's in you, he'll never leave you and never forsake you. I know I'm harping on these things I hit all the time, guys, and some may ask, some people may ask, when's he ever going to get off of that? When we get it. When we get it. <laughs> when we get it. When we become a people that start to look like Jesus everywhere we go, then I can start relaxing on this. But I don't know. I'm not there yet. Is anybody else there yet? I don't know. I'm not there yet. I want to be more like that. What does mature Christianity look like? I have to ask the question. And listen, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So if we're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting that we're going to get into maturity but we're not getting there, then maybe we ought to question what we're doing. The word says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. All, all your needs. In other words, everything you need, he's going to give you. Yes. But think about this. What are the things that you want? Yeah. You might have to go after those. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. In other words, there's an attitude inside. Not because we're trying to get something that God left out. God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? Ephesians 1 says that. He's given us that. But it takes more of a militant mind that says, I'm not going to sit in passivity and just wait. I, you know, it baffles me. How many times do we pray prayers 
that put us in a passive position. Now think about this for a minute. We pray prayers like this. Oh God, rend the heavens and come down. Um, he already did that. <laughs> Let's get current in our theology here. He already did that. And best as I can tell, the heavens never closed. I never see any place in scripture where it says the heavens closed, right? If there's any closed heavens, it's probably right here. It's going on right here in our minds. There's no such thing as a closed heaven. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Now think about that for a minute. Not only is it theologically incorrect, but think about what that does to us. It puts us in a position where we said, I prayed and I asked God, now I'm going to wait. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. I wonder how often the entire angelic realm is standing around us going, don't you get it? I mean, come on. You don't see how completely and fully he paved the way into absolute glory and you're standing there waiting on him to bring it to you? Start walking. Start walking. Start moving. Start experimenting. Start risking it a little bit. Maybe the very thing that you want will be found when you start doing this. Start walking a little bit. Start walking in the direction. It's easy for us to come into certain situations and get full of faith because of testimony, and they're wonderful, and we should. I want to see the dead raised. Anybody want to see the dead raised? Okay, guess what? You have to be around dead people. I mean, come on. Think about it for a moment. That means you have to risk it. You have to be in a position where somebody might have died. And then you just go after it anyway, right? I'm hoping this is making sense. What does a mature Christian look like? It's someone wherever they go that everybody looks at them and goes, God, kingdom is all over that person. Now, Christians say that because we like kingdom. We like those Christian words that we say. But sometimes it may not be. Just people look at it and go, God, that guy's got some stank on him. That's power. Where's that coming from? What is that? Well, maybe they won't say that, but. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. But I really do believe that the things that we really want, we need to go after. We need to go after them. We need to risk. Again, it's not because God's holding things back. It's because what's holding us back is right here in our minds. Colossians 1 says that we who are at enmity with God in our minds, he has now reconciled us. In other words, all of the obstacles that we see concerning the kingdom, concerning walking in faith and in power are right here. All of the obstacles are right here. They're in our mind. You who are at enmity with God. Now, don't you love that? He's talking about humanity. And he says, you are at enmity with God in your mind. Okay, can I mess with you just a little bit theologically here? You who are at enmity with God in your mind. In other words, he's talking about a past tense, Right? Is that the only place we were at enmity with God? Well, he's saying we were at enmity with God in our mind, but yet Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. I don't know if that's connecting. He took care of it. He took care of it. In other words, let me put it this way. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of humanity's problems before they ever began. Come on, is that good news? He's the answer to all of humanity's problems before they ever began. 
Because he's the lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And if he was slain before the foundation of the world, then our enmity was never at God like this, like there was some kind of fight, struggle going on. It was always right here. What did we do? Think about this. Adam. We all get to partake in Adam, correct? Do we believe that? Yes. Everybody's born into sin, so to speak. We, we say that, right? Everybody has taken Adam because of his action, brought into us all kinds of pain and hurt. We, we don't have a hard time believing that, do we? We have a much harder time believing that because of Jesus, the last Adam, he brought in righteousness. He brought in restoration. He brought in wholeness. Don't you love that? Yeah, but Andrew, there's things that I need to do first. Well, I, you know, keep trying. Keep trying. It isn't going to work. In other words, what I'm saying here is Adam messed the whole thing up. Jesus made it right. Now, we are still walking at some level at enmity with God in our minds. It's not because he doesn't, he's withholding. It's because we just don't simply believe it. Hello. Why don't we walk as mature believers? More times than not, it's because we're believing a lie about ourselves, or we're believing a lie about God. Mm, okay. <laughs> How many in here have had prophetic words over your life that you really value? Yeah. Okay. Good. Do you know that those prophetic words don't just happen on their own once you receive them? Right? How many have had prophetic words specifically about your future? Okay. This is where the rubber meets the road. We can take that prophetic word and we can sit there passively and go, God, someday you're going to do this thing that you promised. You're going to do this thing that you promised. Now, I don't know how it all works, and I'm not claiming to know all of that. All I know is for me, I had prophetic words about my life and my future when I was 16 years old, and I sat on them for 15 years or more <laughs> waiting for them to happen. So finally I started to realize he just took a snapshot of my future and he brought it back and showed it to me. Now I can walk in that direction or I can go in a different direction. He's just showing me his intention for me. Hello? He's showing me his intention for me. So if I want to find that destiny and if that's resonating with me and if I believe that's God, then I have to start walking in that direction. God's told me that I'm going to see the dead raised. Good. How many dead people are you praying for? I'm going to heal the sick. How many people are you laying hands on? I mean, seriously. We have to ask the question. This is what true Christianity, true mature Christianity looks like. Peter says in Acts 14, that you don't enter the kingdom except through tribulation. Mm. You don't enter the kingdom except through tribulation. Is the tribulation something you're trying to earn in order to get to the kingdom? Absolutely not. That would be contrary to scripture. The tribulation we face are the own internal struggles of, if I go reach out to pray for my brother right here, what happens if it doesn't happen? There's part of the tribulation right there. You're experiencing this right here, coming up against a lie of the enemy instead of saying, look, I've got a savior who is absolutely amazing. He's wonderful. And he has given me everything that I need. So really all I need to do is step out and risk it. Is there tribulation in that? You better know it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Please tell me. You know what I'm talking about. When you go to actually do the things that Jesus has asked us to do, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel, right? But I don't want to do that. What if I offend somebody? Oh, God, can we please get over that? Can we please, 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 please? Oh, gosh. 
don't get me started on that. I feel a bunny trail going, but I'm going to leave that, that one alone. But let's not give in to the whole, I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, let's get over that stuff. Get over that stuff. People are dying because we're afraid to offend them. The world is dying because we're afraid to offend them. I don't want to live like that. In other words, the kingdom, it's like it's, it lies just beyond what you can see in the natural. How many of you have experienced something that you saw the kingdom? You saw this is what the kingdom looks like, all right? where you saw somebody healed, you saw somebody radically get saved, you saw somebody get over addiction or whatever it is, somebody really transformed. When you see that, you see the kingdom. That's what you're seeing. You're getting a glimpse of it right there. But once we have it, there's always something beyond that that we can move into something else. And it usually is the kind of thing that lays just beyond our ability to see in the natural. And even more important, it lays just beyond our comfort zone. <laughs> It's just beyond our comfort zone. We, we told the students when they started the school that you will be offended and you will be very uncomfortable because if we don't have that going on in the school, we're not growing. We're not growing. It will be painful. It will be difficult. There are things that are difficult, but I'm telling you, when you step out in them and you start to experience the kingdom, your faith begins to rise. rise. And I believe there is an exponential growth and maturity when we start with just the little thing just the little thing and then that one little step next thing you know it turns into four it turns into eight it turns into 16 hopefully that's making sense look at verse six here here he is trying to sum some of this stuff he's uh, stuff up he says however we speak wisdom among those who are mature we speak wisdom among those who are mature. It takes an awful lot of maturity to recognize that it doesn't take great oratory. Right. It takes an awful lot of spiritual maturity to recognize it doesn't take somebody with great speaking skills. And that's what he's saying here. However, we speak wisdom, but it's wisdom among those who are mature, not wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. You want to hear some good news? Who are coming to nothing. Yeah. Come on, you ought to celebrate that. In other words, we're going from glory to glory and the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. Just trying to help you a little bit, that's all. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Come on, is that, that's a good word right there, isn't it? If, if, if the demonic knew what was going to happen by crucifying Jesus, they wouldn't have touched him. They would have been trying to kill everybody who was trying to kill Jesus. Had they only known, they didn't know what was going on. Here's Jesus going to the cross. They think they're killing him, and all he's doing is making a public spectacle of him. Yeah, kill me. As a matter of fact, I'm giving you my life. You're not taking it. I'm giving you my life. And boy, are you going to be surprised. Verse 9, but as it is written, I love this passage out of Isaiah. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, saints, let's grow up. We like that passage, right? But we like to use it because we like to be passive. 
Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. I just don't know what God has done. I just don't simply know. But I, you know what? This whole thing about the sovereignty of God, I believe God is sovereign. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I got a little amen back there. I know God is sovereign, but come on. Oftentimes, we use the sovereignty of God to put us in a place of passivity. Well, we just don't know. God's mysterious. He works in mysterious ways. So I'm just going to sit here and not even try to comprehend it. I'm not going to dig in and say, Holy Spirit, what's that about? Show me some more about that. You guys with me, right? And we love passages like this. Eye is not seen, nor is ear heard. And we like to quote that and hold on to it, and we forget what verse 10 says. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Come on! (laughs) Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. Well, that used to be. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. In other words, there is no sitting in a passive place going, well, I just don't know. I understand there are still mysteries in God. I understand that. And without the mysteries, and they're important, because without the mysteries in the kingdom of God, we have a God that looks more like us than we do like him. Because mysteries are very, very important. But the very word mysterion in Greek right there means, literally, it translates, those things that are hidden, but they're coming into light. In other words, they can stay hidden and we can stay passive or they can come into light by aggressively starting to walk into it and say, I want to see what this looks like. I want to know what it looks like. I want to understand this a little bit more. The things that are hidden, if they're coming into light, then I know that they're going to be found by me moving in them, moving towards them. (laughs) Verse 12, I'm jumping around. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Somebody say amen to that but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Come on, do you see what's happening here? The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. It's kind of like, you know, in this room right now, you have cell phone waves bouncing all around here. You have AM signal, FM signal. You have all that stuff bouncing around, all around us. There's satellite signals that are being sent from space that are hitting us right now. You can't see them. Unless you have the type, right type of receiver. Have you been given the right type of receiver? To receive the things of the Spirit of God. Yes, you've been given Holy Spirit. Yep. All right. Guess what, church? All of humanity has been given Holy Spirit. Uh oh. We like to compartmentalize and we like to say, oh, well, that's them and that's us because I'm a Christian and they're not. I go to church. They don't. Again, we think this says something about our Christian maturity. It's the most immature thing we could ever say. People get a little weirded out when I say things like that. All of humanity has received Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, go back to Acts chapter 2. It's absolutely true. I will pour out on all flesh. All flesh. But Andrew, how is that? If they're, does that mean there are Christians that are going to heaven? See, we want to compartmentalize everything and make it about heaven and hell. 
instead of making it about life and death. We want to make it about heaven and hell. He poured out his spirit. Why? So that when the spirit comes and moves, the spirit that rests on us like the dove, right? That when we come into connection with people like that, they can resonate with it. Why? That way they have the receiver. They have the receiver. They're able to go, there's something about that. I don't have any words for it, but there's something about that that's good. I hope this is making sense to you guys right here. It demands that we take a look again at how we live our life. That if I look at people on the outside and me on the inside, oh, God help us. I mean, seriously. That's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. That's a pharisaical spirit. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Herod, political spirit, and of Pharisees, a religious spirit. That's how, that's, we need to be careful of that. We can't look at people like that. We can't look at them as you're on the outside, I'm on the inside. Boy, if you would only think like I think, talk like I talk, go to church where I go to church, sing the songs that I sing, you would be a much better person. Mm. God help us. God is summoning us. I believe this, really. He's summoning us to a task. And we can't make it generic. Meaning, we can't take parts of the Great Commission and say, I like this part of it. Make disciples. How often, how long have we as the church been trying to make disciples absent Holy Spirit? How do I know that? Because he already said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I came to you with a demonstration of what? The Spirit and of power. You can't become a full, mature disciple without the Spirit of God, without the power of God working inside of us. Church culture, even right now, it's set up in such a way that we can hear this kind of mandate, this kind of call, or this kind of summons and have zero response to it. Feels good on the inside. Feels really good on the inside. Oh, you're right, brother. You're right, that gave me goosebumps. Thank you for that wonderful message this morning. I'm just keeping it real. Because we can walk out the door and go, okay. What did they say in there? I don't remember. It just made me feel kind of good. In other words, it's my responsibility to be Jesus to the world. It is. It is. It's not my job to save everybody. Did you know that? Jesus didn't even talk about salvation that much. He didn't. He talked about the kingdom all the time. All the time he talked about the kingdom. His first salvo, opening salvo, was repent. The kingdom is at hand. That's, that was his opening right there. This is it. Guess what? It's not about salvation, guys. It's about the kingdom. Oh, okay. I'm messing with your theology now. Okay. That's all right. You go wrestle with it. It's my responsibility to be Jesus to the world. So let's do that. Let's all stand together. Let's, let's, let's preach the gospel. Let's heal the sick. Let's cast out demons. Let's raise the dead. Hmm. One of our core values here at the church is risk and faith. And it's, it was not something we came by lightly. We just looked at our lives and we said, if you really want to know personally what your core values are in your life, look at your calendar and look at your checkbook. That will be crystal clear on what your values are in your life. Hello? <laughs> look at your calendar and look at your checkbook and it will be crystal clear what you value in life. Time and money. For us personally, when we started doing this, it was a huge risk for us. And we always still live in 
levels of risk, sometimes more than other, but we always live in levels of risk. Being 42 years old and moving a family to Orlando where you don't know anybody to start over again and you lose everything when you do it, there's a high level of risk in that. Now, I'm not saying that so you can pat me on the back. It has nothing to do with that. What I'm saying is this is part of the value system and the culture of who we are here. So if you hang around long enough, it's going to rub off on you. I want to be around people who want to risk it for the kingdom. I want to be around people who are saying, yeah, I'm not really satisfied with what I've got right here. I think there's a little bit more out there that I could be. And every one of us wants it, right? Every one of us wants something transcendent, something more. We're looking for something that has meaning. I think about the end of my life a lot, not in a morbid way, but I think about it a lot. And, I'm, and I often go, what about my life is going to have any kind of impact in this time frame that I've lived? Is any of it going to have impact? I'm not talking about being famous, guys. I'm talking about seeing the kingdom come. Yeah. All right, hold your hands up. I'm going to pray for you. And Holy Spirit, that your kindness and your goodness, Lord, any place where we're thinking other than the way you think, Lord, I pray for a repentance. All of us, myself included, Lord, I pray for a repentance that we would, by your goodness and kindness, lead, be led to a place, excuse me, a place of repentance. Because of your goodness and kindness, Lord, you would lead us to a place of repentance. So, Lord, I'm praying for people's dreams and visions to come to a whole new level, to a whole new understanding. Lord, I'm praying for the risk and the faith in every individual in this room to start with uh, maybe a family member, start with somebody at work, begin to pray for healing, begin to say, hey, let me tell you about this person that changed my life. Let me tell you about this person I'm really crazy, freakishly, madly in love with, who's awesome. Especially if you're a man, it's really weird when you can stand up and say that. I'm in love with a man. (laughs) Lord, I pray that for us, Lord, so that we would not be immature Christians thinking that we're mature Christians. That we would begin to walk in this dynamic, spirit-filled power that you have given us, so freely given to us. That our spirit man would wake up to the reality of the finished work of the cross, and that we would live by our spirit man, not by our natural earthly man. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.